Did you know locums docs make, on average, 33% more than employed docs? Got your attention now? So, if you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or maybe even 20. Locumstory.com is packed with unbiased information and tools to see what the trends are in your specialty and even make a decision if locums is right for you. My advice? Make locumstory.com the go-to place to learn more about locum tenants. That's locumstory.com. What's good, everyone? This is Dr. Nee with Docs Outside the Box. Uh, super excited to have our next guest. Um, Low-key, if you're watching us on YouTube, our next guest has a better background than me. Usually, <laughs> most of the time, my background is slamming in comparison to my <laughs> guest, but Dr. Felicia Fro has like this dope background with the logo on it. Dag, Dr. Fro. I like it. I like it. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. How you doing? Uh, thank you. I was going to say I like your pink. I like your background, too. It looks more like a movie studio to me. That's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's what we're going for. That's what like we go it. for. And um, it makes all the world, all the difference in the world in terms of, um, I think, how I feel about the show and when I'm talking. And I just have this confidence. And I think it... it emotes a little bit of like, hey, this is a serious podcast that you're coming on. So I'm glad that you noticed it. Uh, and I recognize game, recognize game. I appreciate your background. So everybody, <laughs> another reason why you need to like rock with us on YouTube. I know everybody, a lot of people like listening to us on the podcast and we appreciate y'all. But listen, I'm telling you, we are working on our YouTube game and Dr. Felicia, she's taking it to another level uh, with her background. So we appreciate that. But Dr. Fro. Let's get on here. Let's talk about what you are all about. You are a urologist. Um, you are currently in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tell us really quickly a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into you know how to invest and transform neighborhoods in a socially impactful way, which is something we've never talked about here on Docs Outside the Box. Yeah. So my background, I like most other people that I know that are doctors these days, you had your parents who told you, go to school, get a job and make a lot of money, which is what I did. I went to medical school, became a urologist, which was a little bit um, not exactly what I thought I was going to do, but um, it just happened to be the people and the patients that I liked the most in medical school got accepted into that residency. I don't think I implied, I'm just, I've just listened to a bunch of your episodes. I don't think I apply. I don't, I don't remember how many residencies I applied to, but it wasn't a bunch of them. Anyway, anyway, I got into my residency, did all that. Hey guys, that. that's a humble brag on her part. <laughs> <laughs> she's humbly bragging. Don't let, don't let, don't let her get away with that. I know what she's doing. <laughs> all right. Your board scores are, were slamming. All right. We get it, Dr. Fro. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, so actually when I came out, I'm going to, I'm going to say this too. I was one of the first hundred female urologist in the country. So that tells you, gives you a little bit about age for me. So I was about to say, you are a unicorn actually. It's so. like, <laughs> it, there's a lot more of us. I ultimately have was working in California in a practice. I've been on a lot of different practices trying to figure it out. Um, medicine has been a thing I've wanted to get out of and do differently for a very long time, which is probably why I went to so many different practices trying to make medicine work for me. Um, ultimately moved to Tulsa because of a project I did here, a real estate project I did here. And I'm now still doing telemedicine. Believe it or not, I'm doing urology telemedicine 20 hours a week. Um, and then real estate and building my business the rest of the time. 
Okay, real quick. So <clears throat> tell us real quick how that looks, telemedicine with urology. And then let's jump into real estate syndications and like transforming your your local neighborhood. Um, okay. Let's start with the telemedicine with your, how does that look? Because I think a lot of people listening, they're like, how does that work? Because this is a surgical procedure-based thing. How does that, yeah. how does that work? So basically I tee up the cases for the group that I'm doing telemedicine for. So I, you know, talk to somebody on the phone, they've got hematuria, blood in the urine, you talk them through what's going to happen. And then you schedule their procedure for the office it's basically. And then, you know, the, the practice I came from did a lot of appointments by phone. And so it's not that different. You just, you're basically now, instead of talking to them on the phone, bringing them in and doing their procedure, I talked to them on the phone, set them up with whoever's going to do their procedure. And then I may follow them afterwards if that's what works out. Some of the, some of the people that I'm working with are not so good at their follow-up, but I'm pretty good at that. So we, we just work it out, make it work basically. Wow. Wow. So you have obviously a special, like, do you have like a special relationship with like a private practice where like, you know, once you have screened these patients, like you, you are talking directly with the surgeon. How does, how does that work? What's the next step after you're like, oh yeah, hematuria, you need a cystoscopy or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's the practice I actually left. So there were, there were people that I had worked with for a long time. And so we, we knew each other. We know each other very well. And the hematuria workup is pretty straightforward. You got blood in your urine, you need this test, this test. You sit, move them in. If there's anything kind of a little bit weird about them, like, you know, how patients sometimes are kind of weird. You just, you want to have that conversation with the person who's going to be seeing them just to give them a heads up. Like, this one's going to take longer than the usual 20, 30 minutes to get done. So make some more time in your schedule. And it's just communication. It is a group How long you that been doing I knew already. I've been doing telemedicine since um, probably March, March, February. And it happened because I, I quit my job and I moved, my mom moved in with me here in Tulsa. And I was taking care of, helping take care of her. That's not what I thought it was going to be, but that's what it ended up being. And at first I would go back and work a couple hours, couple weeks, locums is what I'm doing. And then it turned out that I couldn't leave her. So we'd worked out this telemedicine thing. Mm, okay. So folks, just so y'all know, like you can do telemedicine in so many different ways. Um, we've had some guests come on and talk about, or even some companies come on and talk about telemedicine. And I think primarily people always look at it as, okay, if I'm in uh, primary care, that's mm -hmm. the best way in which you're going to see it work, or maybe even like dermatology or something like that. Um, but in a surgical field, it's pretty impressive to see that. So I really appreciate you explaining that so people know, you know, what opportunities are out there. Let's pivot. Let's, let's talk about real estate. Let's talk about um, having a positive social impact. Um, so I, I see that you are spending a significant of your significant amount of your time um, as a real estate syndicator, um, working on these projects that are not just obviously the goal is for passive income or the goal is to to be wealthy, but also looks like you wanting to change your neighborhood, um, which is very interesting, super dope. So let's talk about that. Like let's talk about how you are having a positive social impact in your neighborhood through investments. I, the way so it, it, I didn't go from buying single family houses, which is how I started in real estate investing, buying single family houses, managing them, managing them ourselves, and then realizing that this is another job. This is really hard, and that was all in the 2006, 2007, 2008 timeframe. And we, if 
if you don't remember, 2008 was not a good time for real estate. The housing market crashed. Everything just kind of went to went crazy. I started doing um, syndication, learning about syndication after that. And I did the usual syndications. The usual syndications are things like apartment buildings. People always talk about multifamily and buying uh, big apartment complexes, not necessarily building them, but buying them and building, I'm sorry, bringing on other investors to help purchase that thing where you get the investors get money back from that. They don't have to do anything with it. They're not dealing with the toilets, the tenants, the termites, all those kind of things. <laughs> those. You listen were... to my episodes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I get it. Okay. You know, I'm one of those, you know, just like all the other doctors listen to this, we're those a people who just want to know everything before they step into something. That, gotcha. You know, gotcha. Got it. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. This episode is brought to you by locumstory.com. Backdrop. 2012, finishing my fellowship in Miami, and no decision bigger than where and how I was going to start working on my own. And there it was, the fork in the road. Being employed versus something I had never heard of before, locum tenants. So I decided to go the locums route, and I had a ton of questions then. I stumbled a bit, but eventually I was able to stand on my own, and I have been working locums over the past 10 years. Now, what about you? If you're considering locums, you probably have hella questions just like I did. Like, who covers my malpractice? Do I really have control over how often I work? And what are the tax implications? Now, lucky for you, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from docs just like you. And there's nothing to sell here. It's just a simple resource for information, like finding out what's the average pay rate for your specialty. There's even a quiz to see if locums is right for you. So listen, take my advice. Locumstory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locums. That's locumstory.com. So those were great, and they made money, and they... um were not hard to do for me. And kind of, it was like medicine to me. Medicine's not difficult for me. It's, it's, you can do it. It just didn't fill me. It wasn't the thing that was going to keep me going forever. And then I went to a course and learned about residential assisted living, where you have, take a house and you turn it into a community for elderly. You can have memory care. You can just have regular assisted living and use that as opposed to having older folks go to those gigantic facilities with 200 beds and they have a pod of 10 and they have one person help them take care of them. So we, I started an assisted living home, a residential assisted living home. And that was the beginning of the doing well and doing good for me. And after I had done that and run that project, which was really, really challenging, I was introduced to food, believe it or not. And you're like, how can you, what do you mean introduced to food? I was introduced to a group who was talking about bringing indoor controlled farming to Tulsa, Oklahoma and a grocery store to North Tulsa and North Tulsa for or Tulsa for those who don't matter, don't know is that, and I didn't know this until like three years ago, it was the place of the 1921 race massacre where there was wealth among Blacks in Tulsa, and that was not good in 1921. And there was an uh, area called that's known as Black Wall Street that was burned down. Tulsa has 
suffered the ramifications of that for many, many years. We There's tons of lost generational wealth because of that. The other thing that was found, <clears throat> Tulsa did a resilience paper that showed that the people of <clears throat> North Tulsa, which is where Black Wall Street was located, by the way, it was rebuilt, but it didn't last. Well, where that was located, the people of North Tulsa have an 11 year less life expectancy than the people of rest of Tulsa. And one of the reasons for that, which of course we know would be multifactorial, was there's no there's no full service grocery store in North Tulsa. So we set about to make that better and to make that right. And after two years, two and a half years, we finally got our grocery store here. It's doing well. Um, we don't and know if it's that, made a difference in the lives, but this, we got this, the grocery this, store here. This endeavor that you did where you're building a supermarket, was this like a syndication also? Or was this like purely out of your own <laughs> investment, your own funds? This one was not a syndication. It was... It was not a syndication where we bought in limited partners. The folks who were in the group put money in towards the deal. We also got a lot of city money, some new marks, some tax credits. This is where I'm learning about all these other different ways to get money that actually once we, once I really truly understand it, to do a syndication with that just makes the returns that much better. So that's where the whole social impact you can make, you can make a difference. You can make people healthier. You can help people be healthier by providing a place for them to buy. Can I drag them in there and make them drink? No, get to, the, the water's there, you can drink it. Um, and that's to say, there was, there, people are saying, where was the food in North Tulsa? Where do people get food from? There was Quick Trip. And I'm gonna tell you, there's 15 fast food stores in a two block radius or two blocks of where our grocery store is located. So that's how about like how Dollar Trees, are the Dollar Trees and Dollar Yeah, Generals I call those fast. That. I call those fast food too. Exact a bunch of those too. And actually, the representative in this district, this is the first district where someone was able to block a dollar, another Dollar Tree, Dollar Store, whatever they're called, from coming here because they were keeping grocery stores out of the area. If if people can go there and buy really cheap, whether they think about where that food came from or not. Um, that's what they were doing. So that was blocked to help get this grocery store in here. How long did it take you to go from thinking that you want to bring a grocery store to actually building and, you know, it's open, grand opening, people are <clears throat> buying from there? I think it took about two years. Two years? Yeah. Wow. Now, I think the next thing that a lot of people think about is like, is it possible to, you know, make a profit and still have, you know, still be fiscally and socially responsible? Like, yeah. Basically, what I'm asking is, is, is everything all right with the books? And are you making, is it worth it, so to speak? I understand the social impact, but is yeah. it financially worth it also? So with that, that one is a model that would, we put that, we did that as a model to say, can this work? Like I said, with those tax credits that are there, the government has them there. To say, you can use them for low-income housing, affordable housing. You just have to know the system, and that is money. So with the tax credits, you get money into your deal that you can then sell to other folks to help that to help your return. So yes, it is possible to have a positive social impact and make money. One of the businesses we're, we're working on bringing here is an indoor controlled farm. So hydroponic what, what farming. What is that? You mentioned that earlier. What does that mean? Hydroponic farming. So it's um, a building and you you grow vegetables in the building in um, substrate, not necessarily in soil. Okay.
you, they can grow in all different kinds of ways. So you can do them upside down or right side up. And the bottom line is it's not, you're not using a bunch of soil and you're not using a bunch of water. You're, and you're using, if you form, build it correctly, you can use solar. So you're not necessarily using a bunch of electricity to get it done. And you can control the nutrition. You control the, um, you control how fast you can grow. So that's a much faster rate of growth. You can turn over a crop in six weeks compared to how long I take a crop in the outside. And you can't grow year round in Oklahoma or most places in the Midwest. And what we learned with COVID is our supply chains are not very good. And learning that and knowing that water and um, irrigation systems in California and Arizona and all those places are really struggling. We have to have ways we can get food in other places from other places. So this was, this to me is a perfect solution. And we're, we, I can't remember this, the one, the person I'm working with is this has built one of these in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and she's building one in Maine. And I want to bring her here. We we're talking, we're talking in early negotiations about getting that here. And then I want to talk to the city about the tax credits and all those other things too. You know, you know, as, as someone, a native New Yorker, I live in Jersey now, but as a native New Yorker, New Yorker, when I tell people that, yeah, in New York City, in the boroughs, either Queens, Bronx, or Brooklyn, like there are food deserts. And when you explain mm-hmm. it to people, they're like, what are you talking about? It's New York City, like, like, <laughs> like a place of great wealth. How is it that there is food deserts and people really don't understand the concept of like, you have to walk miles to find fresh groceries, fresh produce to bring back to your house, you know, and you have to bypass so many, like you said, fast food restaurants, whether that's McDonald's, Burger King or whatever it may be, or in your case, like you, like we also mentioned, you know, Dollar General. So it seems like there's a double issue. Like not only is there these food deserts in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but there's also an inability uh, or a lack of the ability to grow these, these uh, facilities in a local area also. Cause I think you also mentioned offline that a lot of these produce produce or how do you say, but you know what I'm getting? A lot of these vegetables and so forth have to be shipped in from, in, yep. from other States. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's not just, not just a Tulsa problem. It's kind of, it's a Midwest problem. So okay. most of our lettuce, tomatoes, strawberries, all those kind of things are coming from California, Arizona, Texas, Florida. The majority are coming from those States of the stuff that's grown outside. We know that there's irrigation problems in California, Arizona, think E. coli outbreaks and those kinds of things. It can be because of the way the food is irrigated, not just because somebody didn't wash their hands when they made your salad. There's a lot of a lot of places for that to happen. Um, and that what we know about our supply chains is that if you've got to wait for your lettuce to come from California and there's a I don't know, gas, gas prices go up. Imagine that. We just had that. How much more is that going to increase the price of your food as opposed to it's growing in an urban area? You can, they harvest it and ship it to the grocery stores. And there's not that transportation time. Number one, there's not the loss of nutrition that happens when you have to pick the food early so that by, by the time it gets there, it's not rotten. So from the time you pick the food to the time you get it to your table, the nutrition starts going down, the nutrients in there start breaking down. So the closer you are to where your food was grown, the better nutrition you're going to have, which if we know medically, if you eat nutrition, nutritionally dense food, 
you will be less hungry. You'll have less of the things that we can have when we eat crap that just makes you want to eat more. So we're talking about diabetes. We're talking about hypertension. We're talking about those things. I'm working with a project where we have called Fresh RX, where we are providing food to diabetics with A1Cs above eight. We're into our second year and decreasing those A1Cs. We've had two point decreases in A1Cs just by changing the way you eat and re-educating people on how to eat. So it's really, it's a lot. There's a lot. So for someone who's listening right now and they're just like, oh, this sounds great. Like, I think the two questions are, is this replicable? right? And where they live, right? So how do they, what, what is your advice to someone who wants to open up their own supermarket and they may live in an area very similar to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and then let's talk about money with mission. Cause it seems as though like you're starting that process of uh, introducing physicians or introducing investors with these fiscally responsible, socially responsible type projects. So let's take it yeah. from there. So Opening a grocery store is is a challenge. So that's why it took us two years. And by the way, is this to... like a major? Is this like a major chain supermarket or no? This is... No, this is a local, locally owned grocery store. Gotcha. We call, it's Oasis Fresh Market. It's not a chain. We buy groceries from a co op called AWG. I learned so much about groceries. Associated Wholesale Groceries. They buy their food from. The, it's there's a lot going on in grocery okay. stores. But I'm working with somebody who we are working with food boxes. So we take a um, container, like a shipping container, and we're converting those into grocery stores for neighborhoods here in Tulsa so that we really are decreasing food deserts. People can have a grocery store in their neighborhood. It's small. It's like, if you think about New York, the my daughter always calls, it's like a bodega. And I'm like, I don't really know what that means. But if you live in New York, you know what that means. <laughs> Dr. Felicia, you don't know what a bodega is? Hey! Let me tell you something. You can get a honey bun. That's your breakfast. You can get bacon. At, let's say, yo, you can get bacon, egg, and cheese, yo. Let me tell you something. And you can get some <laughs> candles with uh, Jesus Christ on it. Yo, <laughs> I'm telling okay. you. You can play dice. Dr. Felicia, come on, yo. You need to know about these bodegas. All right. But anyway, keep going. I'm anyway, <laughs> we're not going to have that kind of stuff. We will have fresh <laughs> produce and all okay. the canned goods and lots of, you know, a good skews called the skews, a good skew variety in those relatively small contained stores. One of the reasons to do it that way is number one, it'll be cheaper than building a whole store and then making sure you have somebody who can run it. But you can also test your model. So you can put a container grocery store there and it's like, yeah, this is going to work. You let it run for six months a year. And it's like, this is going to work and it is worth it to build a free standalone grocery store here or open a grocery store in a strip mall where there's nothing there or whatever, wherever you want to do it. But you've also, by now, you've trained your people to run a grocery store, even though it's a small one in your container. So now you can just shift that over into the grocery store because it's there's a lot to working in a grocery store. You have to have some people that know what they're doing, doing that. Do most cities have like ordinances or like um, resources to support a locally a locally built supermarket, like what you're talking about? So there's some credits and so forth. You have to get, well, the credits are in federal, actually, but you okay. do have to work with, you, you do want to work with your city. You do. You definitely want to work with your city. And there's a, we found so many, when people knew what we were doing here, so many different smaller towns and cities talked to us about, we want this here, we want this here. And it's a matter of, can you support it? Number one, can you support it financially to get it there? 
And can you support it once it's there and having enough people shop? So you just have to look at all the things like you would look at if it was an apartment building. Is there the economic drivers to have this here? Now, is just uh, out of from left field, this grocery, is it a nonprofit or is it for profit? For profit grocery store. Oh, so it's got to be making money. Okay. It's got to make right. money. So tell us about Money with Mission. What's that all about? So Money with Mission is my company where we are we do education and connections. So I have an investor club. We have an investor club where we have um, individuals, and I work mostly with female physicians to have multiple streams of income so that we can have options in our life, um, into the investor club. And the purpose of being there is to learn about investing and to have projects that I've vetted and general partners that I've vetted come in, talked about talk about their project, and then we talk about whether that project looks good for your portfolio and how that would how that would affect you and your family and the legacy that you're trying to build. Mm. So if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about this, how how do they connect with you? They can you email, just email me, Felicia at moneywithmission.com. That's one way. Also, if you want to go and get my ebook, legacy at email legacy at moneywithmission.com and you'll get the ebook and you'll learn you'll get information about all the things we're doing. We're working with um another company called Philanthro Investor who's got a bun- who's got um housing, education, water, lots of different companies under their umbrella to invest in. So there's there's a lot going on. Okay. So Dr. Felicia, once again, send say your email again. I think it got when you coughed it got cut off. Felicia, F as in Frank, E-L-E-C-I-A at moneywithmission.com. Got it. So boom, there it is, guys. Listen, this is a real example of how you can have uh, financial um, growth and be financially uh, positive, so to speak, and also have a really great social impact in your own community, which you know, we as physicians, that we're, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to uplift our community uh, with medical care. But also at the same time, there's another way that you can do it, um, whether it's uh, helping increase the amount of buildings in your neighborhood, um, assisted living like Dr. Felicia is doing, or maybe even bringing a, a supermarket uh, where there's possibly even a food desert. And this is something that we've never learned about. And Dr. Felicia, we're definitely grateful that you came on the show to talk about this. Uh, we're definitely going to have your book as well as uh, the ways to get in contact with you. We're going to put that in the show notes. So once again, Dr. Fro, thank you for coming on Docs Outside the Box. It was a pleasure. And we got to figure out a way to get you to New York so we can teach you about these uh, bodegas, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Those are definitely fast fast food joints. I'm not going to lie to you right there. (laughs) All right. Thank you. It was fun. Hey guys, thanks again for listening as well as supporting Docs Outside the Box. Listen, this show is produced by Darko Media Group and the dope audio experience is edited by the one, the only Christian Parry, also known as your podcast pal. Links to him in the show notes. Listen, this is Dr. Nee, the Doc Outside the Box. I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.